Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where this week we have a grab bag. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. No, grabby things, grabby hands. <laughs> Today, we're, we're talking about uh, a grab bag of stuff. We have a bunch of mini topics. We kind of put them together into what we are calling our mini topic grab bag. And these are mostly from listeners, but... Uh, so here's how we got these over time people have just mentioned things that they would like to see as episodes whether on the subreddit or on twitter and then also when we actually did our listener question episode we had some trickle in after we had recorded but before the episode had gone live and we'd kind of just taken all these and thrown them in our topic idea list and i realized that a lot of these are things people want to hear about but they aren't things that we could necessarily talk about for an entire episode so we're going to just do a bunch of them right now. We're going to move through them fairly quickly, but it should be fun. We'll see how this works out. I don't know how long it's going to be either. So uh, this is kind of an experiment for everybody. Um, yeah, it is. We're, I like the idea of this one when we were talking about it because it's not necessarily a Q&A. It's just kind of discussion that people wanted to hear. So I think it's really exciting where they didn't necessarily ask a question a specific question about it was like hey thoughts on this and it's like yeah we can talk about pretty much anything right and because of that i actually didn't capture like any of the names of anyone who these are from so if you sent these in thank you we love that you listen we love that you send us questions um i'm very good about getting who sent us which question for a q a episode but like this one i i have no idea where any of these came from so yep. if you sent it thank you um but yeah we should probably thank you and sorry <laughs> yeah and sorry sorry next time i'll do better i'll i promise um we should probably get into it then so the first one is the uncanny valley and Someone wanted to know our thoughts about it, and then someone else just kind of said, I don't even know what that is. Can you give us a primer? So Uncanny Valley is a term that's used in, like, graphics, basically. Usually CGI is when you're talking about it, or, you know, video game graphics. Robotics, a lot of times, will have that, too. Yeah, yeah, you can use it in different contexts. But most of the time, if we're talking about video games, we're talking about the graphics of it. And it's when the visuals get so close to realistic that it almost looks human, but it's slightly off. And Mm -hmm. you can't always even tell when you're looking at it why it feels off, but you look at something and you know that's not human, and your brain just rejects it, and it rejects it hard. So it's it's to the point where it rejects it where you're almost scared of it at a primal level, like there is something wrong with this. Exactly. And it's one of these things where... The Uncanny Valley is this very close area to photorealistic that's not quite there. And you can land on either side of it. So if you go all the way to the point where it looks realistic and your mind buys it, that's great, right? These are like your AAA titles. Like, um, I'm trying to think of good ones recently. Like Battlefront. Like Battlefront the other year for Star Wars. That definitely is like, that looks real, you know? It, it feels real. And most AAA games usually fall on this side of it now. They have giant teams behind the engine that make the graphics and the models and everything. Um, and then the other side of it is to just go totally stylized. Something like Firewatch or yep. there, there are so many stylized games out there. Even something like The Wind Waker where it's far enough away from human, but your brain re- like reads it as human anyway, which is yep. really interesting. It's really cool because of being able to look at it's it's a lot of times for me the feel of realism, not the look, where that's why stylized works so well for me is that 
I hate modern video games. Photorealistic graphics do nothing for me. I think they're ugly because my brain sees the the uncanny valley and rejects it so hardcore that it makes me and it gives me disdain for the entire like project that it's on. It just kind of it really does creep me out. Where like Tarkin in Rogue One, it took me so long to accept him as a character in that movie. And because of the uncanny valley part of it, I knew immediately it was CGI and I could just I was just nitpicking it subconsciously. Video games do this for me a lot. Like I can just like, oh, that's a really good A-wing, but oh look at this how it flies. Look at this how they they put the textures together. Something's wrong with this. Like I just it's ugly to me. Like things when I see like Uncharted 4, like I can see that the graphics are phenomenal, but I hate them. I would much rather have a Wind Waker style graphic or Mario to see something HD and stylized because it feels more real to me than someone trying too hard to make it real, if that makes any kind of sense. No, it does. And for me, um, I don't land so much in the the black and white hate versus love, which is, (laughs) this is typical of us, right? This is true. (laughs) This usually happens. You're much more black and white than I but um the the realistic graphics they start to just feel the same to me like once you Mm -hmm. reach realism everything looks real to the point where it all looks the same so the realistic graphics are not games that stick with me for their visuals at all whereas something like firewatch from last year totally stuck with me it still stuck with me i actually replayed it this week after our you know end of the year episode a few Mm -hmm. episodes back i wanted to re-experience it and the stylized graphics in it just they spoke to me so much and the visuals stuck with me the entire year. Whereas something like Final Fantasy 15, which I love, like I don't care about the graphics in that game. They're fine, Mm-mm. right? They they look like good objectively if you can be objective about this kind of thing, which, you know, questionable if you can even do that. But uh, Final Fantasy 15, for lack of a better term, it looks realistic. So it looks like everything else that looks realistic. It doesn't have its own unique visual style to it and i would much rather have something stylized when it looks unique it feels unique and it doesn't feel like everything else that was kind of like kingdoms of amalur reckoning that it came out and was trying to compete with skyrim when it was new and i actually like the graphics in amalur better because it was brighter colors that's something for me with the photorealistic graphics is that it always looks kind of muddy that it it tends to go toward the realistic earth tones and things to make it look photorealistic realistic and for me that's uninteresting kind of like you said final fantasy 15 looks like all the other realistic games and for me it's a color palette thing where i can look out the window and see those colors i look at my screen in battlefield and i see those colors i look in in uncharted i see those colors and that's something that is really important to me to draw me in is a unique palette i love bright colors i love that kind of stylized stuff and i get bored of the same kind of of level design and level look, which is something I like the Tomb Raider game. As great and as fun as it was, all the levels kind of blurred together as you went from one area to another. Exactly. Cool. Okay, so that's Uncanny Valley. Next topic, game design in general. So they wanted to know, I think, like about elements that we see as industry challenges. And I didn't have any super deep thoughts on this. They gave us a couple other bullet points to hit, though. Um, But I guess as far as industry challenges... I just think that in general, the video game industry is 
fighting right now between kind of this console AAA experience and mobile. Mobile is where the most growth is. It's where the most revenue is. It's where they keep seeing returns on their investment, even though the games, like the gameplay at the core of them, isn't necessarily good. You have all these like gachapon games, things like Puzzle and Dragon, things like the upcoming Fire Emblem Heroes, which I was excited for, and now I'm much less so because it looks kind of like that gambling gachapon, keep putting money in it, and maybe you'll get the thing you want game. Um, There's definitely competition there between what we get on consoles and like dedicated, you know, handheld or home console versus mobile. I think that's the biggest challenge in the industry right now is how to keep growing both of them and keep the whole industry healthy. Yeah, and it goes into that kind of AAA versus indie thing as well that we've discussed on Twitter where the AAA industry is getting so big and there's so much money being invested that that the the shift is very it's going to be dramatic whenever something takes over as a as the real winner of this that it's going to be it's going to change everything i have no idea what it's going to be yeah and another thing to keep in mind is that historically this doesn't mean it's going to happen this time but historically gaming trends in japan are a very good indicator of gaming trends worldwide but japan Mm -hmm. has it happen first and then it takes about five or ten years for it to happen everywhere else right and Right now, in the past five years, Japan has gone hard away from the console market and hugely into the mobile gaming market on phones. And so games are not doing that well in Japan on consoles at all. But games on mobile are just exploding there. And we see more and more of that in the West now. I I hope that we find a better balance here than they have there because some of those developers over there are really struggling. If they didn't have Western markets right now, they would be done. Like, yeah, that's just the the reality of the situation. They can't make games just for Japan anymore. They have to make games for the world or at the very least Japan and the Western world that we think of. Yeah. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. Like if it just if you keep an eye on Japan, you can usually get a feel of things that might happen in the rest of the world in the next five or 10 years in in terms of video games. And the same thing goes for Korea as well. You see a lot of Korean developers who are doing unique things that are different from what the Japanese developers are doing. But it's the same kind of thing that if it weren't for the Western market, there was a good chance that they wouldn't be nearly as successful as they are, that it has to be able to come to North America. And I'm not even so sure about Europe. That's one one market I don't know really anything about these days is the European video game market. Yeah, Europe is interesting in that they tend to get most of what we get in North America, but they're almost always like the afterthought, you know, like it it goes kind of if you're a Japan developer, you think about Japan first and then you think about the US and then Europe also. But Europe is a huge market and they should think about them more because you have so many potential Mm -hmm. players there. And again, it's not something we can speak to directly because both of us are in the US. But, you know, from friends that I have on Twitter and from industry stuff that I read, it's definitely a big market and the the console players should pay more attention than they do to Europeans. So, we'll, I mean, we'll see over mm-hmm. time. Um, so the next thing in this topic of game design in general, do we have any pet peeves of like tropes or mechanics in games? Um, for me, the only thing I could really think of is I hate the games that feel like they have to be long. Like... I'm okay with a game that's three hours if it's a good, complete experience start to finish. It doesn't have to be eight hours. It doesn't have to be 60 hours for me, right? In fact, if a game feels like it's filling itself out just to reach those amount of hours, 
I will likely get turned off from it. So like, this is what happened to me in Uncharted 4. I really liked it, but then I looked at where I was and I was like, I have to be getting towards the end, right? I wasn't anywhere close to the end. And I just said, nope, I can't play this game with this gameplay for that many more hours. I'm done. So yeah, just game length, you know? I'm really excited that more indies are on the scene that are bringing us games that are in the like three to six hour range. I love that. I love a game that I can sit down and consume in one sitting. And I hope we see more of that over time. And I think that along those same lines, that price has something to do with it. That for me, you know, we've talked about this before. If I'm paying $60 for a game, I want to get a lot of playtime out of that. That That's a lot of money for me to throw on a single purchase. And so I don't want something that I spend 60 bucks on to, to have three hours of gameplay. But for something like Firewatch or, or any of the other indie games that are, you know, five, six hours long, 15 or 20 bucks feels like it is a good deal, especially if there's replay value in it. So for me, I, I'm the same way. I don't want an overly long game because it stops being fun, but I also don't want it to be too short that, that even if the single player campaign, I think you said that the, uh, the infinite warfare was just so short. And if you don't like the multiplayer, that's not worth $60 for me. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was like a, an eight hour campaign. And I don't, I don't really buy those kind of games anymore. If, um, if it's very multiplayer focused and the single player feels like an afterthought, it's one that I'll borrow or I'll rent or I'll just wait until it's cheap. Um, yeah. I mostly go towards the single player games where single player was their focus. But yeah, what else what else do you have in terms of like pet peeves? I don't like gimmicky touch and motion controls that that I'm giving it a chance on mobile with touch controls and trying new things. And I'm finding that that well-made mobile games really are fun, that that you were right. But when they're gimmicky and it's kind of like the Nintendo is really bad about this with the 3DS and DS when it was first coming out and they're still doing it with from apparently with the Switch, that the touch and motion controls that don't add anything to the game that it's just kind of like the connect. I just don't like the connect. I've it's never worked right. It has always felt like a a second thought like hey, here's this cool toy that doesn't really add anything to your experience. That and the same kind of online when you have an online component that doesn't add anything to the game. That was kind of how I felt about a lot of Street Pass things in uh, on the 3DS that it didn't add anything to the to the game itself. It was just something to say, oh, yeah, we have an online component because we need an online component. Oh, yeah, those are good ones. I didn't think about the online thing. But yeah, Street Pass is dead now with the Switch. So <laughs> mm-hmm. apparently they agree with you. So so yay, something Nintendo agrees with me about, apparently. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, Okay, it's next subtopic of game design. Do we have any examples of existing games with near flawless implementation of a single aspect of their design? I had to think about this one for a while. Yeah. Um, the only thing I landed on was Mario. And I think Mario yeah. is just... It's perfected platforming in a way no other game can touch, and the other games keep trying, and I I never find anything that feels as good as Mario. This is why, if I ever sit down and actually make a game, which is one of my long-term goals, I'd love to make a game, even if I don't release it to anyone, even if I'm the only one who ever plays it, um, I think that process would just be fascinating to do once. I would never make a platformer, because Mario has it nailed, you know? We don't need other platformers on the market because, like, I have Mario. I'm happy with it. I mean, I know we do. I know we need variety. We need competition. We need things that feel different. But in my mind, Mario is the pinnacle of platforming, and it's one of my favorite series ever for that reason. 
Uh-huh. And a lot of times when you're playing a platform game, specifically a 3D platform game, I always find myself comparing it to Mario 64. To this day, I still compare things to the precise control of Mario 64 that I have never felt that much control. Even in, in future Mario games, in Sunshine and Galaxy and, and even further, which were fantastic, I've never felt just that perfect intuitive control that I did in Mario 64. And to this day, 3D platformers, I get frustrated at because they're not Mario. Yep, exactly. That's that's why that's my pick. Uh-huh. And for me, it was actually Ultima Online. At thinking about this, it was Ultima Online has the best player community that I've ever seen. Like in terms of just putting people in a world and letting them exist and come together, I've never found a game that was as easy to feel a part of a player group that you just kind of fall in with people. And it was the most realistic social experience I've ever had in a game where WoW was great. I made a lot of friends in WoW and other, you know, EverQuest style MMOs that were that were based on MUDs, but Ultima Online just coming together, being thrown in a world and being forced to interact in a a I don't even know what the right word is on how you're forced to interact, but in a very real way where someone can kill you and steal your stuff if you're not nice to them kind of way, it was the best example of a sandbox online community where you could start up a town, you could sell things, run scams, whatever it was that you wanted to do, the tools were there for it back in 1998. And I I love that that's happened. And, oh, my phone just rang, but I thought I had it on. Oh, dude. Okay, so they just announced episode, uh, episode eight's title. It's called The Last Jedi. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah, that was what the message was. I'm glad I saw it. Um, Episode 9, The Last Jedi, just came through on my cell phone. Episode 8. Cool. Episode 8, yes. Well, Jennifer said 9. That's why I was... uh, The text message had the wrong Roman numeral in it. But hey! Yay! The Last Jedi. Um, So wait, 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 wait. So So do we think... Okay, this is now a mini topic. Um, Do we think that they're talking about Luke or Rey in this instance? Probably Luke, I'm going to assume... Yeah, probably Luke, because who knows if Ray? we don't know what's going to happen with Ray, and we don't know if she's going to complete her training. This is true, or and what's going to happen. Or they kill off Luke in this, like, in episode eight, and Ray's the only one left. That could be too. Yeah. Or they might be talking about Kylo. They could be talking about Kylo. He was trained as yep. a Jedi by Luke before he went to the dark side. Maybe uh-huh. he's the only one with the full training left. Uh, but if it's the last Jedi, that means that something's going to go down. I wonder if Luke's going to make it through the movie uh-huh. now. This is interesting. This is interesting. I was okay. always hoping that Luke wouldn't make it through the movie because I was really hoping episode nine was going to be primarily about the new cast, that that they were going to do a lot more with them instead of, you know, episode seven being looking for Luke Skywalker. I was really hoping that episode nine was going to be moving well beyond the original cast. So maybe this is a way for me to to get that part from it. It so, feels yeah. like they, they needed to move beyond like this is handing off the torch between old cast and new cast. Uh-huh. So yeah. that wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to be the next thing is if Luke is yep. huge in this one and then he's done. Like if this is the end of his story, mm-hmm. that would make a lot of sense. Hmm. OK, yeah, cool. Um. <laughs> 
next mini topic in game design was maybe touch a little bit on Bartle's taxonomy. So if you guys don't know what that is, it's yeah. basically like um, it's almost like a personality test for gamers, and it tells you what kind of gamer you are. And honestly, it doesn't apply as much as it used to. He developed it specifically for MMOs, and people have tried to mm-hmm. apply it to all games everywhere, which is not what it's intended for. But it's still an interesting tool to take a look at. So if you haven't ever seen it, go you can just google it bartle's taxonomy and you'll see it and you can take there's a bunch of different tests online for free um so i think they kind of wanted to just know beyond that beyond us telling our audience about it where you and i fall so i know for sure that i fall into explorer first because i just like experiencing games especially the story but explorer is the one that's like off the charts for me and then my secondary one is achiever and that kicks in sometimes, but not all the time. So it's it's not nearly as prevalent. But yeah, I'm definitely explorer and achiever. And for years, I was a killer. Like that was so hardcore. What I how I played MMOs that between raids and and PVE stuff that was that was part of it. But also other people. If I could kill other people in an MMO, I know you and I have talked about how I used to be just this hardcore griefer and PK that I would. I would do anything to ruin another person's day online and I would just murder them straight out. People will walk up to my house in Ultima Online. Yeah, if they were within the same couple of screens, I'd kill them just straight up, lure them to my house so I wouldn't get a penalty of some kind. Just whatevs. But now and you're not nowadays, like that. Now I'm not like that. Now my days are actually spent more achieving things like the achievement thing that I hated when they inter- started introducing those are now kind of that carrot dangled along. It's like, I don't know why I want this badge that gives me 10 points that I'll never get to do anything with. But man, I have to eat that cake. I have to grab I have to grab all of these moles out of these holes to be able to say that I'm the mole master or whatever it is like. I want to be the mole master and I have to do achievements like they they drive me crazy if I don't get them as I see progress on them. And then like I do explore around. I like seeing things, but I can't. That's not one of my primary go to's. Uh, It's probably my second nowadays, though, because mostly achieving and then wandering around and exploring. Yeah, that's funny that both of us are achiever explorer, but it's like reversed because I will not do an achievement just to do the achievement. It has to be something that I look at and I assess and then I decide, yes, that is worth my time and effort and I think it's cool. So yes, I'm going to do this. And then I commit to it. But that's like so far below exploring and experiencing just everything that there is, like, you know, the story or the setting or whatever. Like, that's what I'm in the game for. Show me a new thing, you know? I don't really care about having to feel like I need to achieve things unless I pick it for myself and then take that on internally. Yeah, I totally get that. Kind of like the platinum trophy on Final Fantasy 15, where you're like, yeah, I can do this. I want that. And you work toward that goal. Yeah, exactly. I was close to it. And then I looked at it and I really thought about, okay, how much time does this take? How much effort? Is it worth it to me? Yes. And then I committed. But it's, it's a very thoughtful thing with me. I won't just do it because it's there. Okay, next mini topic is our perspectives on the cost of games. So... It's kind of like they want to know about current gen consoles versus mobiles versus PC. And why does it feel so weird to drop $10 on one platform and you'll drop $10 on another platform without even thinking about it? Um, For me, I feel like the main driver of this is the app store and everything else kind of flows from there. Um, the, The iOS app store has totally devalued software in general for the general public. And this is very much has. Yeah. I mean, gamers are part of the general public. 
like so many people are in the app store and you know the google app store as well on android which they don't charge nearly as much as ios even like it's hard to make money on android from android developers that i've talked to it's a very hard market to actually get to pay anything for any money but the ios app store everything is so cheap like we're used to everything being so cheap on there most games are free the ones that are most successful are free the ones that cost money for a long time they were all 99 cents and finally in the last year or two some of the premium games are more like three dollars or four dollars it's rare to see them above five dollars but if you do it's a big company like square enix or something releasing Mm -hmm. a game a game like final fantasy that used to be like fifty dollars or so and yeah it's it's just totally skewed our perspective on how hard it is to make software so as somebody who has done web development for years now and i've gotten brought into projects for giant companies that end up being web apps that their internal teams use like guys software is hard it's really hard to make and if you aren't a developer if you haven't ever been a programmer in any respect you might not realize like how much time and effort goes into it so to have months and months if not years and years of your life or a whole team's life go into an app that then gets released for 99 cents a pop or for free and you hope people do in-app purchases like Mm, It's crazy that we are where we are right now in terms of how much things cost. And because of that app store, I'm spending so much time on the app store because that has dragged down our baseline price in our mind. So when you look at a $60 game, you cringe, even though, honestly, if you look historically at how much games cost over time, games now should be more than $60. Yeah, they should be way more than $60 in terms of of inflation because I was paying $50 a game for NES games back in like 1988. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like our big AAA games right now, they should cost more than they do. And I'm glad that they don't. I mean, I don't want to pay more. Nobody wants to pay more than we're paying right now. But they know that they can't go up in price. And we're even now seeing games releasing that are big in their AAA, and they might come out at $40 sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, look at something like Overwatch. You can buy that. The day one edition was like, was it $30? Something like no, that? No, I think it was, I think it was $39 for the, okay. for the day one, and then the Origin edition or whatever it was called was $59. Right. And five years ago, they never would have released a version of that at $40. Never. You know, it, it only would have been the $60 version. And we see more and more developers doing that. Even the AAA developers are coming down in price. And I, I just, I think it's all driven by that app store. And then secondarily by PC, a lot of console gamers mm-hmm. also game on PC and PC has Steam sales and Steam sales make games cheap. So if you're like me and it's not a game that you're 100%, I need this on day one because I'm super pumped for, you'll just wait. Just wait for a mm-hmm. Steam sale. Like there's going to be one in the next three months. Anytime you listen to this, there's going to be a Steam sale in the next three months because that's just the way that it works now. So you just wait for it to go on sale, and then you pick up the game when it's super cheap. So, yeah. I do that. I don't remember the last time I bought a full-priced game. Maybe it was Bioshock Infinite. I bought, like, day one when it came out. I don't remember, honestly, what it was. Well, and I buy a lot more full-priced games than you. Yeah. But it's even... It's interesting to me that even this year in the fall, games like Titanfall 2 came out to big critical acclaim and Battlefield, Mm -hmm. like um, Battlefield 1 came out, big critical acclaim. And 
like Titanfall did not sell well. Like where it was placed between no. Infinite Warfare and Battlefield, like Titanfall 2 was kind of sent out to die. And within two weeks, there were already sales on it for half price. And this is a AAA game with a gigantic budget. And you could get it for $30 after like two weeks. It's just crazy, you know, that it comes out day one for 60 and it's already that cheap after only a few weeks. So that's kind of how I feel about the state of money for games at the moment. Yes, uh, I'm the same way. I don't pay money. I don't uh, I don't like paying lots of money for it. If it's not on Steam sale, I'm probably not going to buy it. The most expense I have bought one Final Fantasy game on mobile Final Fantasy six. That was I want to say it was when it was. $16 or something like that. And then I bought Super Mario Run for $10. And just in general, I don't I don't want to pay that much because I don't get I don't get a lot of value out of games these days. I know that sounds weird, but I bounce off of games so quickly. Not as quickly as you do, but even fantastic games I lose interest in, so I don't want to spend a lot of money on them. Yeah, but I think the difference here is you bounce off of games. I will mm-hmm. complete games quickly. So like, right. you'll try it and you'll get to the point where you're just frustrated or you give up or it's not for you anymore. I right. will get into a game and I will devour it in a few days or a week but i will have put tons and tons of hours into it and experienced everything i wanted to out of the game that's true for me it's worth it for you it's not i mean and that's that's probably one of the big reasons right there yeah that's really true okay and then uh another one i tried to put most of the gaming ones together here uh digital copies versus physical copies of games so for me i'm basically all digital these days Uh, I think physical games are just annoying. They take up too much space. You have to keep track of them. And then as I found out when I started renting from Gamefly, physical games take a long time to install because they actually (laughs) download these giant patches from the internet anyway that sit on your hard drive. And that's just dumb. Like, I thought that one of the benefits of physical games was you put it in and then you start playing it right away. You don't have to wait for a download. That apparently does not exist anymore. You have to wait for it to install just like you used to have to wait on PC, but now it's on console. So I don't know. All the things about physical games, I don't like them. I mean, I guess the only thing is you can probably find them cheaper than digital sometimes. and Sometimes. Sometimes. But that's that's the only thing I think physical has going for it. Well, I think because I don't actually buy a lot of physical games anymore, but because of Steam sales, because I'm primarily a PC player, I get them on Steam sale or Green Man Gaming or Humble Bundle or something like that. But when I do buy a physical console game, I do it for resale. It's something that I know later on I'm going to toss on eBay and make part of my money back. That I can't do that with digital games. That if I were to buy something on the PlayStation Store, that I'm I'm out that much money. And I look at a lot of, of console games as a return on investment because I don't buy everything. I don't play a lot like you do, like when you game flied. So I end up just going for resale. That I'll play through it and then toss it on eBay and see if I can get 15 20 $30 off of it, depending on what it is. Yeah, that makes sense. Whereas, like, I, I like to keep my collection of games, whether they're physical or digital, which is one of mm. the reasons I've moved to digital, because I can keep them all on the device and I don't have to have boxes right. and discs and cartridges and stuff sitting around that just, I don't have space. You know, I have two kids and we live in a townhouse, which it's not like a tiny townhouse, but I have two kids. Like, I don't have yeah. space to just have physical media everywhere. I mean, I don't buy DVDs and Blu-rays anymore for the same reason, you know? I would rather have it mm-hmm. digitally in some form or another so it can sit on a hard drive on one of my many devices that I have, and I don't have to worry about it. I just know that it's there when I need it, but it's not taking up space in my house. And when 
digital first came along and you could buy and rent digitally, I was kind of resistant to it because of digital rights management where it was like, I'm going to pay whatever it is for this game or whatever it is for this movie, and I'm going to be locked into this particular ecosystem where I have to watch it from here. And the more I've thought about it, the less I care about that, because we have these industry standards. You have it on either the PlayStation Network, Google Play, Amazon, whatever. But just like DVD and VHS, at some point, there's going to be so much of a better... There's going to be so much of a better product later that we're not going to be even watching that in the same way. We're not going to be using it the same way and probably won't pop in any of the DVDs I bought either. Even though I love the movies, I'll get them in whatever the new thing is that I want to see it. Same will go for the digital ones I bought. Yeah, and talking about this recently with you and putting together the the show notes for this week and talking to my wife about like the, the movies that we do have, I mean, basically... All of our main movies that we've bought, we try to find some version that has no rights man- management on it mm-hmm. that we can download. I can keep on the Plex server downstairs, our main kind of hub for the house, and right. we can just stream it to all of our Plex apps on every device that we have. So I think what I'm going to do pretty soon is pull the trigger on going back through every DVD in our collection, putting uh, all yeah. of those onto my Plex server, and then just putting the DVDs in the back of a closet somewhere in a box so they don't have to be on a shelf. That makes a lot of sense. I've I've actually sold a lot of mine at yard sales. That those are huge around here. Yard sales, uh, where the garage sales and a lot of other places. I don't know why we call them yard sales because we do them in our yards. And uh, I sold lots of DVDs that way. You say DVDs are a dollar a piece, and people just run up and grab them around here. And I've had them once everybody has their pick of them. They then somebody comes up who owns a variety store and will be like, "How many do you have here?" It's like, "I'll give you three hundred dollars for the rest of this box." And I'm like, "Heck yeah!" And then I sell them for that. So. They, you know, not nearly as much money as I spent on it, but I don't have to keep up with them anymore either. Oh, wow. That's super cool. I should think about that if we ever do a garage sale or something. Um, Yeah, it's great. Sweet. Okay. Who is your favorite Jedi? <laughs> so <laughs> for me, um, I still think, there, honestly, there aren't a ton of Jedi in the current canon. So I, I think my favorite one from the old canon would have been Jaina and Jason who were mm. the twins of Han Solo and Princess Leia in the old expanded universe, which doesn't exist yeah. anymore. You know, all of that is legends now. But they were two of my favorite characters. I read everything that they were in from when they were like little kids in the little kid books, and I was a little kid reading them, all the way through all the craziness that the expanded universe got up to. Yeah, like, they there's sure a lot did. Of, there's a lot of craziness in there. And I, I loved those two characters all the way through their entire character arc until they stopped writing them because they reset the canon for Disney. So mm-hmm. if I have to pick something in canon, I'm tempted to say Rey, but I'm also going to say she's not a Jedi right now. She's not a Jedi yet. <laughs> and <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I couldn't help <laughs> it. Um, She's not a Jedi yet. So I don't think she's a good enough pick because she probably doesn't count. Right. Um, so and I think you have this one on your list, too. I, I got to go with Ahsoka. I, I yeah. really like Ahsoka from Clone Wars and from Rebels. And I love that she's kind of now a gray force user, even though she has primarily right. Jedi training. She's not a Jedi, but she was a Jedi. So I'm going to count her. I'm going to pick Ahsoka for my choice in the new canon. And I, I love Jason. Like, I never really got into Jaina as much. I was never as interested in her character. Did but you get when... far enough for her to become the sword of the Jedi? 
no. Okay, yeah, she gets really, really good then. Because okay. I, I know what you're talking about. Jason was kind of more primary for a while there. And then when it gets to the part where J- Jaina becomes the Sword of the Jedi, um, her character arc picks up a lot. Okay, that's great. Because Jason was always more interesting to me because of what happened in the New Jedi Order, with him looking at the Force as not having a light and a dark side, but simply existing. And I loved that idea and how he explored that. And when he went to the dark side, spoiler alert, and, you know, Jaina and everyone had to start going after him, I only got about halfway through that series. So I I didn't get to the point where I actually saw Jaina do all of that. And uh, when he went into Darth Cadus and all of this. Um I love Yoda. Yoda is so cool. Like, Yoda's my favorite, um, especially once they started fleshing him out in Clone Wars and things like that. Like, I don't even know what it is about Yoda that I love so much, but I've always just just really, really loved him. I've got a Yoda statue in my room, like, with latex skin and hair and everything. Like, I just love him. Uh, it was a Christmas gift a long time ago. It was great. Um, I hated Ahsoka whenever Clone Wars came out. Like, when they gave Anakin Ahsoka as a as an apprentice, I truly hated her. Like, she was annoying. She was, she was just terribly obnoxious to me. I didn't like watching her. She was kind of whiny. And then as the series went on, she had one of the best arcs I've ever seen. That when she stopped being a Jedi, when she and Anakin had that scene outside of the Jedi Temple, it, it made me tear up and cry because it was just heartbreaking and so i just really started liking ahsoka she's also my favorite character to play in disney infinity so that's fun too um and i like ray you know she's not a jedi yet we'll see if she's the last jedi who knows but um i think they did such a good job on casting and writing her in in the force awakens that i i i just like she's fun to watch and i can't wait to see what they do in the rest of the sequels to see like how much more fun she's to watch that they could do so much with the character that I hope they do. Yeah. She's amazing casting. Cool. Okay. Um, what product, so it could be game, movie show, et cetera, anything do you want to like, but you just don't. Um, for mm. me, I talked about this a lot actually last week when I was talking about Stellaris. So it's a whole genre of games. It's just 4X games in general. There are so many things about them that I should love, that I think I love, that I love in other contexts, but I pick up a 4X game and I almost always bounce off of it very quickly. Yeah, I I should stop buying them as much as I do, but I'm always drawn in by 4X games. I I don't know why. I do the same thing with building games. Games like Minecraft, uh, I think it was called Portal Knights was another one that I tried that I really thought I was going to like. And I love the idea of these sandbox building games. And then I play them for about an hour and a half. And I'm like, well, this is not for me. I cannot do this. And I either return it to get a refund or never touch it again. That the same kind of thing happened with Stardew Valley as well. When there is very little direction, like... I have to have some direction for it. And I felt like those kind of games need a bit more, not necessarily questing, but just goes into the achievement part of me. Let me have some kind of internal goal, like external goal to work toward while I can find my own internal goals that I want to do that. So building games and I keep watching lots of British sitcom pilots that I want to like British sitcoms. I like a lot of British dramas. Like, I love British TV, but I cannot get into sitcoms. That the the production quality of so many of them feels 
off to me that I want to like them and just can't. I think the best one that I've seen that I watched the entire uh, the entire series was called Whites on Hulu. That that one was hilarious to me because I like food. I like I like chef shows so much. Like we talked about the documentaries. Whites was really fun for me because it was a kitchen sitcom. I love how you just admitted to loving British dramas, but you still won't watch Sherlock. Um, I know. <laughs> okay, so next topic is role-playing morality. And I think this came out mm. of an earlier discussion when you had talked about your old days in Ultimate <clears throat> Online and being evil and all that. The first yeah. time we had that discussion, I think this was a follow-up comment or question about that. So right. it was mostly... Um, are we ever like evil in RPGs, especially the, the I think the person knows that you and I don't really do PVP anymore. So they were wondering right. if we're ever evil in RPGs where it's like a single player game, like we're not hurting anybody else. The only person mm-hmm. that we would be hurting would be um, like an NPC. That's just, you know, it's computer. It's not a real person. So this is an easy answer for me. No, like I, I'm just <laughs> not evil in RPGs. That's not me. And I can't play against it like i've tried i've tried to go down an evil path just to see an alternate storyline i can't do it like it just goes against who i am and like what i like to be when i'm playing a role in a game which i probably speaks to something about me but i don't know um so no no i don't really ever do evil and and i think it speaks something to me as well because i used to play evil all the time in rpgs i would want to do that like kotor 2 i remember nazi the old republic 2 i loved being dark side and same for for nazi the old republic like it was so much fun to just destroy people with with force lightning and make these choices where i knew that these characters who liked me would die and i did the same thing in the old republic when the mmo came out that i went for a sith inquisitor as hardcore dark side as i could and it was so much fun for me and now it makes me so sad that it makes me legit sad like not even like oh that that's not a good thing to do it's like it affects me when i think about what would happen if this were real life i get so invested in these kind of video game narratives that since i'm pretty much driven by empathy at this point that i'll get legit sad if somebody gets tortured in a game or if I saw a Walking Dead mobile game advertisement on Facebook last night, and it was like, do you feed this girl and survive to the zombies and survive or carry her away and, and maybe not? And I'm like, why would you feed this girl to the zombies? That's horrible. Why would you ever do that to a child? And like this ad got to me like I'm so driven by empathy that everything like I don't kill bugs in my house I take them outside like I'm the kind of person who who I really have this 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 level of empathy and compassion that even with knowing that it is a fictional narrative I cannot bring myself to be even remotely bad I'll go out of my way to be be the good guy in these now and to tie this back into that I almost always go with like the good path I think a lot of this falls on the game developer's shoulders in a way because so often the choice is pure good or pure evil. And I'm not either of those. What I really like to find in games are these middle shades of gray where there's no easy choice, where there's no Mm. obvious answer for what's going to happen if it's going to be good or evil. Whereas you can play Mass Effect and you can hold up into the, what is it, up into the right? And that'll always give you the good choice. And that's basically how I played that game. I want games where I have a bunch of choices and I don't know how they're going to turn out and I have to make a hard decision because that's much more like real life. I enjoy exploring those shades of gray in between. I don't like pure evil. 
I don't really like pure good either, but if I'm forced to choose between those, I'll always go with good over evil. But again, that's not how life is. So I, I hope we see more games that are more in the middle or more, yeah. uh, y- you know what I'm saying, right? I do. Yeah. And, and a lot of people try to play the gray area in like Bioware games where you do some evil stuff, some light stuff, and try to stay in the middle based on the situation instead of going all in on one or the other. And in a lot of times, that will gimp your character to where you don't get bonuses that would help you out later. So it's just like there needs to be a, you know, middle of the road, you know, neutral benefit sometimes. Yeah. Okay. And then their other question that went along with this was like, in the games that do have morality, how do we decide what kind of person you want to be? Um, for me, I'm honestly, I most of the time I'm just being myself. Sometimes if I'm playing something like um, a few of the Telltale games that I've played, I try to step into the role of a character because it's an already existing character with a different set of morals than I have. So I might play them slightly different. But if it's not a predefined character, if it's something that I create and I'm inhabiting you know, on my own from scratch, I basically just play as I would play if I were there as a real person. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, these days I really do. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then this one, it kind of tied into the next question. Someone had just asked us about KOTOR, which if you don't know, it's Knights of the Old Republic, which is Star Wars, the RPG from Bioware that's huge that everyone probably knows about it by now. So KOTOR and KOTOR 2. Um, I loved Knights of the Old Republic. I couldn't get into 2 because I ran into bugs and glitches and stuff, and I... I just couldn't like I physically could not progress it and I actually tried to go back to it recently because the PC version has mods and fan patches that fix all of the issues but those games just haven't aged very well like I love them at the time and I love what they are in my memories but they aren't games I want to replay through because they haven't aged as well as a lot of other things like they just don't feel modern at all you you can see all these things that oh yeah i know why they did that at the time but it's annoying now um mm-hmm. so mostly i want a kotor 3 i would love for them to come back reboot the franchise in the new canon and make oh, us yeah. a new bioware rpg in the star wars universe in some way um whereas something like sotor which is the the online version of knights of the old republic that came out that was a huge letdown for me i've never been able to get into it and I was so into the Old Republic that I was I was literally one of the first people to ever log into the game because I woke up early and I sat at my computer typing my password in during early access until I was like seriously the moment that the servers came up, I was online playing that game. And I was all in for a very long time and it felt like playing the Burning Crusade years after the wild burning crusade expansion came out it was a very dated mmo but i loved the way that they built in the storytelling and i really liked those stories but after playing through with a couple of alts it got really boring and the end game didn't have anything that kept me invested in it so after i'd played through it and got used to the mechanics and realized that there wasn't a lot of depth I bounced off of it then and keep occasionally trying to go back into it and get in. And it's still the mechanics that keep me out of it, not the story, because they've still, I think, do a very good job in terms of narrative storytelling, but they don't do a good job in keeping up with modern mechanics that remain interesting. Yep. Yep. Totally. I see where you're coming from. Um, The next thing up was Mario Kart series. So Uh, I don't really know what the listener who sent this wanted us to talk about because I just it was written down in the list as Mario Kart series. So I'm just going to say Mario Kart rocks. Uh, I think 
basically everybody likes Mario Kart. I've played every one of them. I love them. I'm definitely going to be getting Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, even though it's not 100% new game. But I talked about that a lot last week, so I'm not going to dwell on it. Um, mostly, I just I love Mario Kart. It's a great series. Mario Kart is so good. It may be my favorite series of all time, just thinking about it like this, because I've played every one of them from the very beginning, like like pretty much everybody else. Mario Kart 64, like everybody else, again, is totally nostalgic to me. Like, I had four four to six friends who would gather around in all of our bedrooms when we were in high school, play four-player Mario Kart, and we would just mess with each other over and over again while we were playing in the same room. Like, I remember trying to win and, like, yelling kidney punch and punching one of my buddies in the kidney to make sure that I passed him on Mario Kart 64. Like I have so many good memories of this game and yes, kidney punching someone is a good memory. And, but I went back and got this on the virtual console on the Wii and I just didn't feel like it held up. Like because they've made so many advancements in the series that Mario Kart 64 was a great game and is a great game. But for me, I have to keep that in nostalgia land where I don't want to play it anymore because the game has gotten so much better. Though going back, I still think Double Dash is my favorite one because switching between characters was such a fun mechanic. And this also, Mario Kart was the series that let me get my wife into playing video games because we started playing it. We bought we brought my Wii with us on our honeymoon that we made sure that we had Mario Kart. We went to a cabin in the Smoky Mountains and we played Mario Kart as part of our honeymoon, just spending time together. And so Mario Kart Wii was just it's hugely important to me because of that, because it was something that brought us together and let me share something I loved with her that she had never been able to experience before. And that's what got her used to holding a controller and playing any kind of game because she had never done that before and no one had taken the time to to slow down and not just destroy her in competitive games like that so that she learned what the buttons did and learned what any of this meant so it was fun teaching her how to play video games through mario kart so i just love them i hold them very in i hold them in a very high esteem that's super cool i i also like your terminology the nostalgia land i might i might have to use that going forward when i banish games and i just yep. decide to leave them in my memory just banish them to nostalgia land that yeah that's just that's just like where they that. live yeah um okay so cyberpunk is the next topic and there were a couple <laughs> subtopics and this is one that somebody asked us to cover as a topic and we were like oh yeah we could do that and then we sat down to think about it and i realized that i didn't have a lot to say but i had a little bit to say so it ended up here instead because i think you feel pretty much the yeah. same um so general thoughts about cyberpunk i like it in theory i like it in theory a lot i rarely ever actually like it in execution in any form like video games movies you know books anything sometimes i do and i'll talk about those in a second but overall i like it in theory i don't really like the execution very much Okay, what is it about the execution you don't like? I want to I wanna actually know in that before, I, because I love me some steampunk. Like, I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Like, steampunk, I don't want to say I dream it, or uh, cyberpunk, sorry. Okay. What is it about, like, I love, love, love me some cyberpunk. Like, I, I dream in cyberpunk. Like, this is something that I just love the aesthetic of it, and, and just the, it, like, the subversive aspect of the punk part of it, where using technology to subvert, subvert 
subvert society, to subvert other people, to subvert something that is important and using it for a greater good is something that I feel very strongly about, where I think that's part of what I liked about, you know, Mr. Robot of using technology to be subversive for a better cause. And that's a big part of what cyberpunk is, is breaking against the norm and so i love the aesthetic the genre of cyberpunk in pretty much all aspects and except video games i don't really have any good cyberpunk video games i've ever been able to really get into but in terms of other media tabletop games card games movies books i adore it so i want to know what it is about the execution in all of these that you don't like that i do i don't 100 percent know but i want to say part of it is that often it's a little bit too pretentious like Ooh. it's it's so it's so into itself that like it's pushing a message on you so hard that it never takes time to just like establish a cool world because almost more than any other genre cyberpunk always feels like it has an agenda that it's putting on you like yes it, it has to make you think that like this culture is wrong this culture is right look at how much we're rebelling oh we're rebelling so hard look at my punk hair and my cyberness like yes it's so blatantly in your face about it that it detracts from the world that it could have created if it if it wasn't so fed up with itself i mean i don't know okay D does that kind of make sense yes because it does very often come across as self-important yes that it takes itself so seriously yep. that it's very hard to get past that kind of like you said with, with uh mr robot when it started getting into the drug aspect of it, that it was so serious and that was what it was dealing with, where I completely understand that. And I have a hard time with certain things being self-important and taking itself so seriously. Like, I don't like realistic dramas and historical dramas that do that, that take themselves so seriously. But I like science fiction that takes itself seriously like that because I feel as though there can be far more um, actual societal commentary going on in speculative fiction that the that the seriousness the serious tone and almost pretentiousness i can look over that because it's something that i could then apply to my life as opposed to the we don't repeat history kind of thing of other stuff or, or no, and i get that with science fiction too like i'm okay yeah. with it in science fiction but it doesn't always feel like they're pushing such an agenda on you when mm. it's sci-fi and it also doesn't like cyberpunk, the punk part comes into play here, right? Yes, a lot it does. of the time when they get too full of themselves, it feels like a teenager lashing out in this like adolescent way that I just don't care about. You know, it's right. like I'm a punk because I'm a punk and I'm so punky, and it's like you know what? <sighs> Can you just be quiet? Like I don't care anymore. I, I yeah. liked you before, and now I don't care about you at all. Again, that's that's all generalities for the mm -hmm. genre. I mean, if we actually dig in a little bit, like um cyberpunk games like i tried Shadowrun and i just couldn't get into it something about i think it was more of the gameplay like the isometric perspective with the setting yeah. something just didn't click for me but it same wasn't, here it wasn't one that was super pretentious it just it didn't click with me but i'm in the middle of and i actually moved this up from my geekery for the week but there's a game called valhalla but it's not spelled like valhalla do you mm. see it in the show notes right there yeah it's a 11 hall dash a yeah 
Yeah, and so it's a cyberpunk bar, and you're the bartender, and you have people in the world come in and just talk to you while they're having their drinks. And the entire interaction of the game is talking to these patrons and serving them up drinks. And depending on what you serve them and if you serve them correctly, it can kind of change your relationship with them. But the only decisions that you're making from the player perspective are which drinks to serve them and if you serve them correctly. But it it also kind of becomes a choose your own adventure because those affect things. I've it's, wanted it's to play about, this. Yeah, it's like all about the world and the characters, and I really like it. So this is one of those executions that works for me. Awesome, because I've wanted to play it, and it hasn't been. It's been on my radar since I think release day, and I saw people tweeting about it, and I've watched some streams of it, and I really, really, really want to play it. And it's one that I just haven't picked up yet, but I fully intend to grab this on a Steam sale at some point. Cool. Okay. And then um, the other one for me that I played a bunch of was Netrunner. I really liked yeah. the Netrunner card game and it was great. Mm, and the only so reason, yeah, the only reason I stopped was that the partner that I had been playing with regularly moved on to a new job. So okay. it was when I was at my old job and we would play some kind of game every day at lunch. And it was like he and I played Netrunner pretty seriously for a while. And then he went to a new job and I was like, well, okay, I guess I'm done with this mm-hmm. game. I don't have anyone else to play it with. And then in terms of games coming up, the only one that I'm really excited for is Cyberpunk 2077, which have you heard about this one? I've heard about it, but I know not much more than that. Okay, it's The Witcher, you know, The Witcher 1, 2, and 3. Yeah. I loved the world building in The Witcher 3, but it's this like dark kind of um medieval fantasy setting mm-hmm. that i i respect the world building so much but i don't particularly like that setting i yeah. want to see what that team does with cyberpunk because i feel oh, like it's the same team it is that team but they are doing oh. a cyberpunk game and so oh, there are almost cool. no details about it but i am so incredibly excited to see what they do with it yeah that'll be awesome i wasn't aware it was the same team as the witcher and while i've never played them i've heard so many just amazingly positive responses to the witcher 3 that cyberpunk 2077 is now on my mm-hmm, give me that list <laughs> and then um in terms of like cyberpunk books the only one that i could think of off the top of my head was ready player one if you would call mm. that cyberpunk i really like that one though i do i actually really like ready player one it might be my favorite book that that I've read it so many times and thought about it so many times and listened to it so many times that I love it a bunch that Ready Player One is phenomenal. And for those of you who don't know what it is, I I picked it up because I heard it was it described as Willy Wonka meets the Matrix. And that's essentially what it is. It is a guy who goes into virtual reality looking for this golden ticket kind of of just quest along the way. It is so good. Like if you are a gamer and you haven't read Ready Player One, you really are doing yourself a disservice and are missing out on it. Yeah, the, but it's the setup is that the guy who created the entire virtual world that's like everybody in the world goes to this virtual world right it's like if it it was one connected service it's like the internet like that has become the internet it has basically become the internet but it's this virtual world and the guy who made it died and he left easter eggs in the game and he said if you can find all my easter eggs and get to the end of this challenge then you will get all the rights and you will be in charge of this entire virtual world whoever can figure it out has earned it and so it's basically being given the chocolate factory because you get the corporation along with it not just the virtual world right so the people who are hunting for it are called eggers is that right because they're looking for easter eggs if i remember right 
I think so. It's something I like really that. I really can't remember like that off I the top of my head. I haven't read it recently. I've read it so many times, I can't remember that. Yeah, it, it's really good. Gunters. So, gunters. Thank you. Um, Oh, yeah, Egg Hunters. Gunters. Got yeah, it. Egg Hunters. Um, They're Gunters. And so the thing is, the guy who had created this virtual world, he grew up in the 80s, like late 70s to early 80s. Well, into the 80s. So what all of these people who are hunting for the eggs, they realize that they need to go back to his past to learn more about like him and the things he liked to have the context to be able to find the Easter eggs that are hidden. So suddenly it's the future, but there's this huge resurgence of 70s and 80s culture. So all of these movies that you love, like Star Wars, right, are big parts of the virtual world because this new generation of kids who's been after these Easter eggs has gone back and gotten interested in old media. So that's back kind to of... the future, yeah. Blade Runner, Dungeons yep. & Dragons, uh, Zort. Like all of it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a really cool setting. I really like that book. Like It's super good. And that is what I consider to be modern steampunk that has evolved the genre beyond what it started out as. Cyberpunk. Whereas, like, I keep saying steampunk, don't I? Where that's what I consider modern cyberpunk, where it has evolved the genre into something that is for the current society as opposed to what it was in the late 80s and early 90s when it started. Because Neuromancer by William Gibson you know really started Actually, the genre. I would even recommend this as our book of the week, even though we're not there where uh, we normally talk about it. I would say Ready Player One is probably one of my up there for my favorite audiobooks so yeah if absolutely you guys, yeah if you guys are interested that'll be our book recommendation this week check out ready player one you can get a free copy of any audiobook if you want to help support us go to audibletrial.com slash geek to geek cast but yeah definitely ready player one is a great one yeah it's one of the best narrated audiobooks i've ever listened to yeah it's really good and if you guys haven't read it and you haven't haven't ever been aware of neuromancer by william gibson I suggest trying it, but I don't think you're going to like it. Hey, that it happened start, to me. It started the genre. It is great uh, for what it did. It created the term cyberspace. Like, we owe so much of the idea of the internet to Neuromancer and the way that we use it and interact with each other on it and just think about it. We owe so much to William Gibson. But it is very hard to read. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And it takes itself so seriously that it makes you stop reading it. You probably won't like Neuromancer. But I suggest giving it a shot. If you don't like Neuromancer, I really suggest Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. It is my favorite Steam. It is my favorite cyberpunk book outside of Ready Player One. It is hardcore true cyberpunk. Snow Crash is about using the internet and the virtual worlds that are that eventually become things like Ready Player One and let you like look at the idea of how people and the world interact together with cyberspace that what happens in the in in cyberspace affects the real world and like getting a virus in cyberspace can you know how it affects your brain when you're when you're plugged in it's great it is it is so good like i can't even tell you how good snow crash by by neil stevenson is it's also slightly hard to read but it is not neuromancer um I love Altered Carbon by Richard K. Morgan. It's pseudo-cyberpunk where you... It is a kind of detective novel that where they have 
figured out how to transfer people's consciousnesses into different bodies, but by having a digital stack with ba- which is basically a chip installed at the at the base of your skull at the top of your spinal column and they can beam this digitally to different planets and you can and into bodies they call sleeves and there are synthetic sleeves and then there are real bodies that you can take over and it just it's really good and it interacts with the idea of technology and consciousness a lot that that there's an entire there's a three book series on them that are just fantastic and i actually listened to them on audible altered carbon and the narrator is one of my favorites ever that's I mean, an interesting one. I've I've read that one too. And have I've you? see that's one where um I think either it hadn't aged super well or like the writing something about the writing style didn't quick click with me, but I very liked, noir. It is very hard boiled noir cyberpunk. That's it. Yeah, I, I loved some of the concepts, but I did not like the like the noir genre that it fell into. I think the ideas there are really important in it. I think they're really interesting, but I I totally understand falling away from the tone. The third one was the hardest one for me to read because of that hard boiled noir tone. And then I saw that you had Blade Runner on here, but you have the yep. book, which is interesting because I've never been able to actually sit through the entire movie of Blade Runner. I get extremely really? bored. And I just understandable. I, I don't see anything interesting in that movie at all. Despite. Yes, I've talked to many, many people about this. Mm-hmm. You don't have to let me know that there are a bunch of versions. I've tried them all. Um, yep. It's just something about it. It never clicked with me like it's so slow and so boring. But I read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And I was ways into it before I realized that it was the same world. And it was what mm-hmm. it was based on. Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? There were a lot of interesting concepts in it, and I could see how I would like a different adaptation of that book. I just don't like Blade Runner for whatever and reason. With the new Blade Runner coming out, uh, I can't even remember the number on it. What is it? Blade Runner 2029 or something along those lines? It's something with some date something. on it. And I think you may like it then. I'm hoping I the, do. The first one was very much an 80s movie where it it felt like a cyberpunk take on an 80s it was an 80s adaptation of a cyberpunk novel that was written by Philip K. Dick. And that that is all you need to know on why it was drawn out and why Void doesn't like it. But I think this new one may you may like it because it will be paced like a modern movie. And that's what I really look forward to is having because you're absolutely right about Blade Runner. It's hard to watch sometimes like there have been times I've started like, no, I'm not finishing this today. But I think the new one being modern will have the same feel. And what I'm hoping for is the same feel as The Force Awakens in terms of using what we've learned about cinematography and applying it to that genre and making it more interesting and watchable. Cool. Yeah, I, I hope that I like it. I'm going to wait and see what the reviews say, and I'm going to talk to people who know me, who go and see it. Right. And um, hopefully I like that one better than I liked Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. But yeah, that, those are our thoughts on cyberpunk. Like, I love it, and I think I love it for the reasons that, that Void hates it. Um, I love the subversion aspect of it. I love the punk part that takes itself so seriously. And that's fine. That's fine. Yep. Everyone, whatever, you know, it's <laughs> true. each their own. Um, the last mini topic is how have podcasts and Netflix change how you watch or listen to shows? And I think they were talking about like kind of release schedule of content. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Netflix releases a whole season at a time, like we talked about last week a lot. So we don't have to get super into that. I mean, I guess yeah. the thing that I would reiterate 
Um, and this ties into last week's discussion about Netflix originals and then everything that I've told you guys about how much I love podcasts in the past too. I'm just a huge like binge watcher and binge listener. So like I said, if I get into a Netflix series, that's the only thing I'm going to watch until I'm done with it because all of it's there. It's ready for me to dive into. Um, and then as far as podcasts, I love finding a new podcast that clicks with me that I can go back and I see that they have like 100 or 300 episodes because I will go back and listen to every single one of them. It's just something that I do. And then all of the podcasts that I have that I'm subscribed to, I keep up with those week to week. But when I do find a new one and I really like it, I go back and I will listen to the entire thing in one go. That is so different from me because I cherry pick episodes of new podcasts that I like. I go through and even when I truly love a podcast and the host, I tend not to listen to every single one because I don't listen to them constantly. I can't have stuff playing in the background like you do most of the time. So I... I don't listen to everything like that. I make sure I pick the best topics that are most applicable to me. And then with Netflix shows, it entirely depends on what it is. Like we talked about last week, there are some shows I wait for binge over the first first night, first weekend of them. And others, I may watch one or two episodes, then wait two or three weeks, watch another couple of them. It just entirely depends on the show and, and how I how I fall into it. Like this last week, I've been, I binged two seasons of New Girl that I haven't watched in a long time on Netflix. And that was just great while I was lying around kind of, you know, getting over the sick apocalypse. And the same thing happened with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. while I was working, that I was just sitting on the couch letting it play in the background. But I can't do that with podcasts. I can't, I just cannot binge listening to things like that. Oh, that's fair. I know um, it totally depends on the kind of work I'm doing. Like mm -hmm. I can't be writing and I can't be reading while I'm listening to a podcast, but I can be coding yeah. and I can be designing and I can be tweaking existing things. It, it totally depends what I'm doing day to day. But since a lot of my day to day has been doing a lot of digital marketing that like, you know, whether it's building websites or launching campaigns or things that don't directly have me reading and writing the entire time. Like I can yeah. do all of these other things while I'm listening to a podcast. But yeah, as soon as I have to sit down and write something or if I'm reading something, I, I just can't do it. So yeah, it yeah, depends on what you're doing for work. Totally. I totally get it. Yeah. Most of mine has been writing lately. So that's really why I haven't been able to do much of anything other than sit in silence. I mean, I can't even listen to music with lyrics whenever I'm writing. Yeah. And again, everyone's different. Like I can do music for almost everything. I'm fine with music in the background, but cool. That's kind of, that's everything that was in the grab bag. We got through all of it and it didn't go super long, which I was hoping no, for. Not super long. Um, and we already talked about check out ready player one. If you want to, uh, the sponsor of the week at audibletrial.com slash geek to geek cast. Oh, thank you. And then it's probably time for weekly geekery. So that's where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. And I'm going to push some of this to next week because we're already a little long on time. But uh, what have you been up to? Um, I've spent a lot of time since, you know, not to talk politics. I'm not going to get into it, but just thinking about things and then thinking about cyberpunk and stuff like this. I've really started reading up on digital security and things like the onion router and and how and proxy servers and how to protect yourself online that it really has just kind of been in the forefront. So I've been really thinking about because of appointments to the FCC and things like that, where net neutrality is kind of my my 
big thing. Like I really, if, if I'm a one issue voter, net neutrality would be my one issue. And so I've been reading up a lot on digital security, encryption, the onion router and different, different ways to protect anonymity online and freedom of like just online freedoms. So that's been where a lot of my attention has gone. For me, I, well, I started, like I said last week, I wanted to start replaying and rewatching some of the stuff that I know that I really like. So I sat down one night and I replayed all of Firewatch and it's still fantastic. I love that game. Mm. Um, I rewatched all of The Crown with my wife this week and it's still really good. Oh, wow. and I'm still really excited for season two. So those were two that were very successful, you know, re-experience media that I already know that I like to see how it holds up. Beyond that, <laughs> there was one night this week where I caught my kids up super late and they were playing Pokemon together and I just couldn't get mad at them. Like they were supposed to be sleeping and it was late. It was really late. And I went up to check on them because I check on them a couple times a night to see if they're asleep yeah. or if they need anything. I, I checked my daughter's room and she wasn't in there. And I went into my son's room and they were sitting there together on his bed with their two DSs out. And I was just like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, we're trading Pokemon, obviously. <laughs> and I was just like, I, I couldn't be mad. I was like, okay, carry on. I was like, after you finish trading, go to your own rooms. And they were like, okay. And I, I don't know. It was just awesome. I love that. That's, like, that's that's really cool. Yeah, sitting shoulder to shoulder, playing Pokemon together. It was really cool to see. And then I wanted to ask you, did you see the Wolverine and the Power Rangers trailers this week? Oh, yeah. I nerded out so hard on both of these. Like, just absolutely went nuts for both both trailers like i've watched them so many times each did you see the red band trailer for wolverine no but i should take a look at it i, I just you should i liked it better than the green band okay both of them made me more interested in the movies and i i already okay. was kind of bought in for power rangers and i was unsure about wolverine but now i mean i guess it's logan it's logan isn't logan it? right um, yeah, I definitely want to see Logan now. I still don't know if I'll see it in theaters because I usually don't see any of the X-Men movies in theaters, but I'm definitely more excited about it now. Oh, I'm so and I don't like Logan. I don't like Wolverine. And I'm so going to be reading all of the old man Logan storylines. I'm so going to learn more about X-23 because of this. And I haven't been an X-Men, like true X-Men fan in a long time. And these trailers that they've released between the red band for trailer two and the green band and the original, I am fully invested in this movie because of the marketing. Now, I've been let down by marketing before. You know, Terminator Salvation, I thought, had a wonderful marketing campaign and the the movie turned out to be incomprehensible garbage. But I don't think Logan's going to be that way. And I'm super excited to see what they do with it because it's, again, they seem to be approaching it from a human perspective. They're they're really making an action movie with characters instead of cardboard cutouts of what are supposed to be people in an action movie setting. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I hope to hear more. And I know that we're going to hear more from the comic box. So that's kind mm -hmm. of, that's probably yeah. going to be my number one source of impressions for this movie and this trailer. I actually think that Rob on the comic box is doing an entire episode about this trailer next week. So okay. I'm really excited to listen to that and see how it how it goes, because I want to know more. And I don't have the context for it, but he does. Right. So he's going to impart his knowledge over podcast form to me. Um, besides that, the only other thing I really want to talk about was the Fire Emblem Nintendo Direct. Did you see any of the news that came out of this? I saw a headline and I never clicked in where I saw it. I was like, oh, cool, something. And then went and did something else. 
Oh, okay. Um, but I like Fire Emblem a lot right. more than you do anyway. So I was hoping that there would be a game or two that they announced. And they announced like six games if you count all the different versions of it. Like, gosh, Fire Emblem is a game that if you guys don't know, Nintendo almost killed off a few years ago. Um, right after, and I don't remember all the names because I didn't get into the series at that point. It was right before Fire Emblem Awakening. Whatever the game or two leading up to it was, they did horribly, horribly. And Fire Emblem, the first few, were like really good successes. So something happened over time. And Nintendo basically put down an ultimatum. And they said, you have one more chance. You can make Fire Emblem Awakening. And if it does not sell, it was something like 250,000 copies. Um, oh, wow. Fire Emblem is dead. We're not going to do it anymore, ever. And they made Awakening a game that is actually appealing to hardcore fans and casual fans, which had never been the case before. Fire Emblem was always only for hardcore people. Like, if a unit died in yeah. the middle of a battle, it is gone forever. Like, there's permadeath all over that game, which is why I never played it. Like, I don't have the time for that, you know? I want to keep moving forward. I don't want to have to reset every single battle every time one of my units gets knocked out. Fire Emblem Awakening fixed that with... Remember when we talked about difficulties and I told you all the different mm -hmm. difficulty settings in Fire Emblem these days? Yeah, which that's, is great because I'm so not into the permadeath. Yeah, that's a direct result of it being too hardcore. They've come back to the mm -hmm. other where, where you have so many different settings. If you want to play it hardcore, you can. If you want to play it like me, you'll play it on normal and you'll play it so there's no permadeath. Like, that's generally what I do. But if you're worried about even that, you can play, like, Phoenix mode, where your characters always get revived every single turn. There are so many different options to choose from. So Awakening was a huge success. Fates came out last year and was a huge success. So they're, like, doubling or tripling down on it. So the Fire Emblem mobile game is out in a couple weeks here. It's, like, February 2nd. Oh, wow, 2nd. that soon? Yeah, and that one is a Gachapon game, so I was really excited about it, and now I'm less so. Because, what does that know, mean? Um, that is the... A lot of games here use it now too, but it's the primary model of making money in Japan for mobile games. It's where yeah. you put whatever fake currency in and you get a random thing back. A gachapon, mm. a gachapon machine is a thing that exists in Japan. You put money into it, you turn the crank, and a little like sphere thing falls out, and you open okay. it up to yeah. see what you get. I mean, we have some of those here in the U.S. too. You know, yeah. like little toys and stuff for kids. It's a huge market in Japan for all kinds of things okay. at all different price points. So they apply that to mobile games, and that are like if you play Puzzle and Dragon, if you play like any of the things that are the top grossing ones on the app uh -huh. store, where you pay money but you're not guaranteed to get anything it's just kind mm -hmm. of random that yeah. is the gachapon model does that make sense yeah it does and i both like and despise that model because being an old ccg player i like the randomness of of kind of gambling like that where it's like oh i might get something really awesome and most of the time you get something that's kind of like oh cool i got another swamp tentacle and so i haven't done that a lot in games that have like those those blind packs yeah and i just i don't like how it feels like gambling like i would gladly pay a bunch of money to get everything in this game unlocked one time but to keep putting money in and not getting like knowing what you're gonna get out of it i don't like that so we'll see once this game actually comes out if it's yeah. really there to just fleece people for their money i will probably just play it without giving any money in if mm -hmm. it seems okay and I really like it. I might throw some money into it one or two times, but I'm not right. going to like, I'm not one of the whales that they're hunting. I'm not going to constantly feed yeah. the beast, you know? So that's fire emblem heroes. We'll see how that one goes. 
there's one coming out that's like fire emblem there's some subtitle but it's basically like they're gonna start remastering old ones it looks like huh so they remastered the second fire emblem game updated it it's gonna come to 3ds and 2ds we'll see how that one ends up being i guess that one used to be a super hardcore game hopefully they make it more approachable this time then they all they announced that there's going to be a fire emblem on the nintendo switch so i'm really excited for that one even though there's zero details about it and there's a Fire Emblem Warriors game coming out, which is basically like Dynasty Warriors, Hyrule Warriors, any of those games where you just kill like millions and millions of waves of enemies that never stop. Mm, I hate those games, as I've said a hundred times. But yeah, man. W- we'll see. Sometimes I pick up those games and enjoy them, and sometimes I pick them up and feel like they're pointless. So I will wait until the reviews come back and maybe get that one. Probably not, but maybe. I don't know. And I can totally see how if you're into the into the the world that they would be super fun because I have really enjoyed like Marvel future fight, which is a beat em up where it's just level after level of smashing things. But I like playing as these superheroes. So I could totally see how, if you're, you're into that, into the world that it would still be a super fun game to play. Right. I think it's just like how attached you are to the property. Like I played right. through all of Hyrule warriors and I thought it was okay, but I didn't replay it. I didn't go back and try to perfect the levels. I played through it once and I was done, you know? Yeah. Um. Whereas if they came out with like, a Final Fantasy version of these games, I would be all over it. You, you know, would, you would never step outside again. <laughs> like I would be so excited. So we'll see. But mostly, there's a lot of Fire Emblem coming. So apparently, Nintendo sees it as one of their core franchises again after almost killing it a few years ago, mm-hmm. which is just well, sometimes it's so funny. I mean, that's the kind of thing I guess you have to do in the development cycle to to you know revitalize something is look at it from an objective standpoint but like if we can't figure out how to make this make money then we have to kill it it's not worth the investment but they did figure it out yeah yeah so that's it that's it for weekly geekery thanks for sticking with us through the grab bag that was interesting we'll have to do that again as these things pile up cool um you can always write to us with comments suggestions or feedback our email address is geek to geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek to geekcast We have our longer discussion threads on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek to geekcast And if you want to get email updates about our network's podcasts and get them delivered directly to your inbox without having to use a podcatcher, sign up at geek to geekcast.net and let us know which of the shows you want updates about. I blog almost daily at agreenmushroom.com and you can find me at GRN Mushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beej. That's Beej with two E's. And I blog and occasionally podcast at geekfitness.net. We've been Void and Beej with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye, 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 bye.